We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my exquisite friends. So honored to be hanging out with you for a bit today here on Journey to Center. You know, relationships can be confusing and complicated. It seems the relationships with humans anyway. But do you have a relationship with an animal? I believe the connection with a dog or a cat or a horse or a bird or even a lizard are the purest heart connections of all. Abraham Hicks called the beasts of this world pure positive energy. And if you think about it, our pets, unlike many of our human friends, do not judge or hold grudges. They don't give advice to us or talk about us. They don't abandon us, betray us, or withdraw their love. In my experience, our pets love unconditionally and wholeheartedly. So when we lose one of our animals, it can affect us profoundly, deeply, and create anguish and grief in a way that is hard to recover from. So where do we go? What do we do? How can we mend our broken hearts and move on? I was so surprised when I looked at the statistics. If you combine the death of pets along with those that run away and that have had to be surrendered for financial reasons, we're dealing with about 40 million broken hearts a year around our animals. So you'd think there'd be tremendous resources available, but there really isn't. Today, we're here with someone who saw this as something that needed attention and has written a book to give us effective guidance in dealing with the death of a pet or a loss of a pet, whether it's happened recently or a long time ago. We're here with Russell Friedman. Russell and John W. James founded the Grief Recovery Institute. Together, they wrote the Grief Recovery Handbook, When Children Grieve and Moving On. Today, we're talking about their most recent book, The Grief Recovery Handbook for Pet Loss. Russell Friedman joined the Grief Recovery Institute in 1986. After applying the principles and actions of the grief recovery method to his own losses, Russell began how to learn to help others. Along with John, Russell has pioneered more than 2,500 grief recovery outreach programs throughout the world. He's appeared as the grief recovery expert on CNN, as well as on the Today Show with Matt Lauer. Russell's also an expert on helping parents guide their children in dealing with losses of all kinds. Russell has now been part of a movement that has helped millions of people achieve a sense of peace and completion rather than just living with their pain. So, Russell, thank you so much for being here again on Journey to Center. Get one again. I want to dance some more with you. I know. I'm honored to be having this conversation. I think you're a wealth of wisdom. And, and though I feel like I've done a lot of my recovery around grief, I see that there's opportunities to go even deeper with your knowledge and expertise. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you both personally from my heart and for all the people that will be gaining healing and help and hope from you. Thank you, and I, I must make some acute comment. Thank you for calling me a wealth of wisdom. You know, I wish you would tell my wife, because when I get home at the end of a day helping grievers as a wealth of wisdom, she says, hi, Mr. Wisdom, can you take out the garbage, please? I just can't get any respect at home, but here with your listeners, I hope to be honored. So this is great. I just, But, you know, the point I'm making is that grief is a sad topic, and I'm not trying to minimize it or lighten it, but... Grief is composed of sadness and happiness and joy and laughter mm-hmm. and tears. It's all the feelings we can have when someone it important really to us is. dies, animal or pet, and so on. 
So I think you're so true. I've seen people who are grieving who will kind of start laughing and they're like, oh, was that inappropriate? But it really can embrace the range of emotions. And I think it's it's good to know we can bring levity to this because it is part of the human landscape. It really, really is. So I appreciate that about you. Yeah, it's part of the human relationship, human-animal relationship. We have a whole range of things. To limit it to one side doesn't do justice to the whole relationship, which was always a mixture, good, bad, and sometimes ugly. Yes. So I would love to know a little bit more about why you wrote this book. How is pet loss different than human loss? All right. Great question, and it all begins at the same beginning. Uh, when John W. James founded the Grief Recovery Institute, which he didn't, you know, he didn't wake up one day uh, 37 years ago and say, grief, what a concept, I think I'll make it my life's work. He was dragged, kicking and screaming, into the arena by the death of his three-day-old son. And eight months later, he found himself standing on the beach in Santa Monica with a gun at his head because he couldn't fathom living another 30, 40, or 50 years feeling the way he felt. So he went on an odyssey to discover what was keeping him from getting back and willing to be living life. And in the process, he went over some, the fact that his father had died, the fact that his younger brother, when John was 25, his 20-year-old brother laid down to take a nap and died. John somehow survived those two losses, didn't really do grief recovery. He just found a way to bear fruit. But when the baby died, he couldn't keep going. So in an odyssey to find out what the difference was between those losses and the death of the baby, he stumbled upon three words. And the three words were hopes, dreams and expectations about the future. What he realized was his baby who only lived three days, John never got to see the dreams and you know, he had hoped he would you know, he would certainly gonna be a better father to his son than his father had been to him. He was gonna do all these things and his son was gonna become an athlete or a scholar or whatever. And none of those dreams got to happen. And that was the key in the door that helped John be able to complete the pain of the death of his child in addition to different to uh, hopes, dreams, and expectations, three other words kind of came to him. And that is there were so many things that during his wife's pregnancy and the prenatal care that didn't get full measure were all the things he wished had happened differently, better, or more. So between different, better, more, and hopes, dreams, and expectations, John began to develop a system or a method to help himself. And it turned out the things that helped him deal with the death of the baby helped others who were dealing with the death of the baby. And then it turned out that the method was so universal that it would work on any or all losses. So then he started writing a book. And here's where to get back to your question, the pet loss part. The very first entry into the book, the Grief Recovery Handbook, the original book, is when John was about six years old and his dog Peggy died. And when Peggy died, he was devastated. Imagine a six-year-old whose bond with a dog is like magical. The dog dies. The kid hardly understands death and permanence of death. And the first thing his parents say to him is, don't feel bad. And the second thing is, on Saturday, we'll get you a new dog. But John did feel bad. And although his parents did get a new dog the following Saturday, John never made a bond with that dog. In fact, he was so afraid of trusting the, his feelings with that dog that he gave that dog to his younger brother, the one who died when he was 20. Uh, John 
was thrust into the idea of don't feel bad, replace the loss. As a little kid, you can imagine, Tammy, did he want a new dog? No. What he wanted was Peggy back, the dog who had died. Well, of course, he knew even at that tender age he couldn't get Peggy back, but he certainly didn't want a new dog. So one of the reasons that John and I have been wanting to write the Grief Recovery Handbook for Pet Loss for so long is that the foundation story of John's life related to grief and the absence of grief recovery was the story of the death of his dog, which set him up with a default that says, don't feel bad, replace the loss. Neither of which work, neither of which make sense, and neither of which are normal, natural, healthy ways to deal with grief. So the foundation of this pet loss book is the fact that many of us, our first major loss is death of a dog or a guinea pig or a hamster or some other pet parakeet, and we all get, don't feel bad, we're going to get you a new dog or some variation. So we start from behind the eight ball and then spend the rest of our life trying to make sense of something that does make sense and then give people tools to get out from under the misinformation and get, the, get moving towards recovery. So that, I think that's really wonderful. And I, as you're speaking, I can go back in time to similar situations in, in my life. So, Russell, do you have an answer as to why grieving the loss of our pets is so painful? Yes. It, the foundation reason is because we're all taught, don't feel bad, time heals all wounds, which it can't. Time can't heal an emotional wound any more than time could put, put air back in a flat tire. It is the actions we take within time that can help us complete and feel better. But let's face it, Tammy, if the first thing you hear is don't feel bad or watch this, a few weeks after a death, you're told you should be over it by now. Now you're embarrassed when you still feel bad over the death of your pet. A few weeks later, and people are telling you it was, now watch this, the opening page, the title of the first chapter of the Grief Recovery Handbook for Pet Loss is, quote, don't feel bad, it was only a dot, dot, dot. Now, in the dot, dot, dot is where you put dog, cat, horse, bird, whatever the animal of yours that died. Now, listen to that word only. What does it do to you as someone who has had pets? And someone says, don't feel bad, it was only a dog. I mean, it's like, wait a minute, you are entirely dismissing my emotional bond and relationship with this entity that I love, that entity that loved me. Now, further, on that page of the book, it's a pretty rough thing we wrote. It says, imagine your mother died, and someone said, don't feel bad, it was only a woman, or don't feel bad, it was only a mother. Yeah, Can very you imagine what you would... Yeah, no matter... Oh, yeah. What. Well, yeah. you'd, you'd be homicidal. You'd want to hit someone who told you not to feel bad if your mother died. And yet they just, oh, don't feel bad. It was only a dog. That dismissiveness, that, that negation of everything is one of the reasons that John and I wrote this book, because we believe that grieving pet owners are the most mistreated of all grievers. Now, that's a little unfair. That's a rather comparative statement. We don't like to compare. But we have seen the impact of millions of people being shunted aside with their grief because it was only a dog. That's why we started the book trying to correct it. And by the way, Tammy, that book is as much for the people around the grieving pet owners as it is for the pet owners themselves. We're trying to educate people to stop saying horrific things like, don't feel bad, it was only a dog. Because grieving people in general tend to isolate. Grieving pet owners 
isolate exponentially more because nobody appears to understand them. They have to seek out and find other pet owners who've, who've had a death. And even then, they're not getting... They're getting support for their grief. They're not getting any support for their recovery because a grieving pet owner doesn't necessarily know what to do other than avoid people who say horrible things. So people's worlds get smaller because they're afraid that people are going to hit them with those stupid comments like, don't feel bad, get another dog. And by the way, to show you how tragic this gets, this happens thousands and thousands of times a year. You have your dog or cat who you love has died or other pets. The next day, a well-meaning friend or family member shows up at your house with a brand new puppy or kitty. Mm -hmm. Now, do you know how many of those puppies or kitties wind up being euthanized because, you know, people just can't take that new pet into their hearts? They are not complete with the old one. They're not going to do that. And what you have to imagine is your husband dies. The next day, someone brings a guy to your house for you to date. You go, excuse me, are you crazy? Yeah, no. <laughs> and yet when our pet dies, they do that. Now, that I'm not saying they don't do that with, with human stuff, but it, it's not quite as bad. They don't, you know, they don't usually bring them in a basket to your door. But it, it just goes to show how incorrect our education is about grief that replaced the loss is, is assumed to be correct. It is as fraudulent as anything, you know? So, uh, the whole idea here of this book is to give people back something they had, you know, like my granddaughter is too. She expresses every feeling in the moment she has it. She doesn't shirk. She doesn't care if it's happy or sad. At top volume, she lets you know. So we don't want to take away from her that which she has naturally. But again, by the time most kids are four or five, they've been reduced to don't feel bad, time heals, which it doesn't, grieve alone. If you're going to cry, go to your room, knock off that crying or I'll give you a reason to cry. Um, they're taught to be strong or be strong for others. Well, here's a choice we give. You can be strong or you can be human. Pick one. And the death of your pet creates about as maximum amount of human emotion as you can have because the bond with your pet is so powerful, so unconditional to a great degree. It's not totally unconditional, but greatly unconditional. Remember, your pet, your pet never said you were fat, ugly, or stupid. The pet didn't judge you. The pet, you get home, pet wags its tail or leans up against you and says, hi, how are you? I missed you. Let's have some dinner. I mean, they're, you know, they're always into dinner. That's okay. But the point is, for example, when my dog, Baxter, who's almost, he's 11 and a half years old now, and he and I are agility champions, we run agility, um, an incredible bond, I tell him everything. Now, I'm very open. I talk very openly about my emotions with my wife. I do it here on the, on, on the radio with you, with friends and strangers alike, because I can't tolerate not doing truth. But I tell things and talk to my dog in a way differently than I talk to any human being. There is no filter. I, am, I don't edit anything out. I can be in the car with him or at home and just tell him everything. I can't tell my wife everything because some things might be hurtful to her. I just, you know, I can, you know, things about her that I annoy me, but I, I can, I can say to my dog, you know, your mom drives me crazy, you know, and I can say that, get it out of my soul and then go back to her 
having emptied the pot, so I'm not going to spill that stuff on her. It's my issue to deal with the things that I'm uncomfortable with. And that, that's one of the reasons, Tammy, that so many people who have a pet die will tell me, or they might tell you, that they have more pain and more feelings with the death of the pet than they did with the death of a parent or a spouse or even a child. Now, I know that sounds like fighting words to a lot of people, but what I really believe it is is that Grieving pet owners so desperately want you, me, and others to hear their hearts, to hear what they're saying, that they will almost resort to a kind of a hyperbole, make a statement that may, and besides, you can't really compare the death of your, your spouse or your parent to the death of your pet. You can never compare any losses, So, which is another unlearning thing. We have to teach people to stop comparing losses. So here's the line. All losses experienced at 100%, there are no exceptions. I've never met someone that's 110% griever or a 90% griever. We grieve at 100% of our unique relationship with the person or animal who died or the person or that we're estranged from or divorced from. There is no limit to that. And each of us needs to be heard and then after that needs to learn recovery actions to help us complete what the death or ending has left emotionally unfinished for us. That's fantastic. Really good information. So, Russell, here's a question. Do you think, from your perspective, are there stages of grief, and do they pertain to pet loss, if so? Absolutely. The biggest N-O exclamation, exclamation, I can say, there are not and never have been stages of grief. Um mm-hmm. The original book written by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in the 60s was about the alleged stages of dying, which many people have contested. Um, We wrote a major article that was published in Skeptic Magazine in 2008, debunking the alleged stages of grief. We didn't really attack or mention too much the stages of dying. That's not our area. Um, There are no stages of grief. There is nothing so common that will affect all of us. Remember, a few moments ago, I said every relationship on planet Earth is unique. There are no exceptions. Stages would make relationships have to be similar or parallel so that each of us could go through a stage. I have yet to meet a griever who's in a stage of denial. Denial would mean not recognizing or honoring or allowing that someone had died. So I have talked to 100,000 grieving people over the last 28 years. I have yet to have someone call me and say, that there's a vague possibility that my mother died, and if so, could you send a truck to pick up the body? The first thing they say to me, I say, what happened? They say, my mother died, which is not a denial. It's a statement of loss. So the whole idea of, of denial about grief is a false idea. Now, the, word, the use of the word denial as it relates to alcoholism is probably a fairly accurate and effective word. I'm not an expert on that. I know a little bit about it, but alcoholics aren't always able to be honest about their condition, so they will deny it and say, no, I don't really have a problem with alcohol. In the meantime, they're falling down in the, in the, in the gutter. Uh, grief is much more tangible and real. Um, uh, when people are affected by by grief, it affects them in so many ways. Their ability to concentrate or focus is diminished. Um, their appetite can be affected. Their sleeping patterns can be affected. And this is with death of a human or death of a pet. Um, grief is a tangible thing. It is not a stage. Now, the stage of anger described in the alleged stages of grief makes no sense. I can't even tell you how many 
thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people I have talked to who had zero anger about their grandma who died. They love grandma. They miss her. They are sad. They have no anger at her for dying at age 95. They have no anger at God because grandma went out very gently, didn't have a long illness. Their relationship with grandma was essentially very good. And yet, sadly, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her books said that the one stage everyone has to have is anger. And I'm sitting here as an expert in the field, having talked to tens of thousands of grievers, okay, to say, that's not true. Some people don't have now, you know, to try to define us in stages eliminates the essential truth, which is my unique relationship with my mother, which was totally different than my sister's. Now, my sisters are identical twins. And when our mother died, 19 years ago, they had individual, unique, and different reactions. And though, even though they're identical twins, their relationship to our mom was individual. So to put them each in a stage wouldn't work for either of them. So um, I believe that Elizabeth was not an expert, and she says, grief is not my area. I'm in the area of dying. Later, the second book, the book near the end of her life, co-written with someone we know, was on alleged stages of grief, and even that, she debunks all the stages anyway. So I find the stages limiting for people, not helpful for people. Um, I think people should go to our website and find the article we wrote that debunks the stages and at least get some different ideas because the stages aren't helpful. If they were, we'd be promoting them because all we care about is helping grievers. What you're saying really resonates. That's so interesting because people do see her as the uh, authority. But as you're speaking, what you say really, really resonates as truth. So I know you talk about, you know, doing completion letters. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking it would be very helpful for me to go back to some of my pets that have that I've lost and, and write letters. Is that something you would recommend to people? Is that a way that we can bring completion and healing to these relationships? Yes, although I wouldn't start with the letters. I would follow the process in the Grief Recovery Handbook for Pet Loss, which will have you first do a kind of a pet loss history graph. So you, if you've had more than one pet die, you'd have a list of them, kind of chronological, and each of them would be a unique relationship. And then, But it would also show you what you learned, not only about pet loss, but about other loss, which will then mm-hmm. expose those myths so you can discard them and get to the recovery. Then you would choose which of these pet losses should I work on first. And you would probably choose, you might choose the most recent one. On the other hand, you might choose one from further back, which might have been a chronicling one that really affected your life and is still sitting unresolved inside of you. Then we would guide you to do what's called a relationship review or a relationship graph in which you put your good, the bad, the sweet, the sour, whatever happened in that relationship. It's a little graph above the line and below the line. And then you convert the things on the graph into three categories. Apologies, forgiveness, significant emotional statements. And you could say gratitudes, especially with, with the pet. So there, I, I need to apologize to my dog for putting makeup. You know, so a lot of little girls will dress up their dogs in clothing and paint their toenails and do other undog things. Boys do other things. I'm not making a gender thing here. Uh, you may need to forgive the dog for, for messing up, disobeying, and running out of the house. There may be some a whole section of things where you just... 
how much you need to thank your dog for the love, the un, un, unmitigated, unconditional affection, the trust and safety, the bond. Uh, and, and from those categories, you then create a letter. It's not a newsletter. It's not a lament. What it is is a grief recovery completion letter that completes the unfinished things, the things you either never said or need to say again in those categories of apology, forgive, significant emotional statements. Then you read the letter to a trusted person who will have some guidelines of how to react, how to listen to you without giving you opinions or anything so for safety. And as a result, 99.99% of people doing this have a sense of completion. Now, that doesn't mean that after you do it, you don't feel sad and miss, miss the pet who died, but you don't feel incomplete. You don't feel pain. Generally, as a result of the grief recovery method work, the pain is the option that gets taken away. And that's not a bad idea. Look, it's perfectly fine at any point. My mom died actually 20 two years ago, the day before Thanksgiving. And from time to time, I miss her. I miss, it was my birthday a couple of weeks ago. Do you think I miss my mom on my birthday and her birthday and on uh, various other chronicling dates? Even Valentine's Day. Remember, my first Valentine was my mommy. So I can That's still right. miss my mom, feel, feel a little sad, but not have pain. And the same option with pets. The pain is the option that grief recovery takes away. That's so fantastic. Okay, we just have a few seconds left here, Russell. Please tell people how they can pick up a copy of the Grief Recovery Handbook for Pet Loss or learn more about you. www.griefrecoverymethod.com. Books are available there and at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, etc., uh, even your local bookstore. Get a copy of the book. It's life-altering. Um, read it, learn it. It will help you for yourself and for your family members who are struggling with pet grief. Such an important subject. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Russell Friedman, for being here with us today and sharing your wisdom and your message. And thank you to my listeners. God bless you. I'm so honored to be doing this with you, this show with you. Um, onward and upward. Take care of yourselves. Bye for now. 